what's happening in the canine industry. For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, you know what we haven't done for a long time? Dance together. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we can arrange that. But the other thing we haven't done for a long time is new ads. Yeah, okay, let's do that. Yeah, let's do that. All right, we've got to start with the OG. We always start with the OG. Yeah. But he's good to start with. The odds are wiener. Yep. The wiener himself. Yep. The original sponsor of the show, Mm. the man who wanted to sponsor us from episode one and we told him to fuck off and then later we're like, hey, we'll take some of that money now, please. (laughs) Grumpiest but most lovable prick you could ever meet in your life. Yeah, it's the Einzer wiener. Yep. Jason Furman, Mm. Einswick Dog Quip. If you're in Australia, that's where you're getting your stuff. Yeah. Crazy if you don't get, pretty much, if you want dog stuff, get it from there. Have you seen that he hand makes a lot of his stuff as well? I've seen that. He tags me in his Instagram. I know. Me too. I see it. You're using his sewing machine. Yep playing his songs. He's really embracing social media these days. Yep. He used to have nothing at all, yep. a shit website, yep. but now, now he's got a working website and social media. I like watching him use his sewing machine. Next thing I know, he'll be making linen on a loom. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> hey, you know who else sponsors the show? Who? Your wife. She does. Yeah. Canine Suticles. Yep. The best dog suticles. <laughs> the best canine suticles. Premium grade. Yep. Human quality. Yeah. It's going gangbusters at the moment. Thank you to the community who have been supporting yeah, it. Yeah, it's great shit. There's been hot demand for her to get this all over the world. Like mm-hmm. people are asking her from every country. She's looking into it at the moment. Okay. So that's going to happen. All right. I caught up with George Kittridge and saw the actual Rowdy Hound box. I know. Yeah. So I had a good talk with George actually about his process in getting this thing to market. Yep. It's a motherfucker. So you should, if you want one, you should get one because- George has put a lot of work into turning this dream into a reality. He and did so much R and D, didn't he? Oh, huge! And yeah. the the product is amazing. Yep, so and he's got, got training videos, everything showing he trains and supports people how to get the dog into it. Yep. how to make it safe. Yep. how to make the dog have a good experience from so it. So, if you ride a motorbike and you have a dog, you need the Rowdy Hound dog box on the back of that motorbike. Absolutely. Next, Fabian Romo. Yes, he's got a shop, Mojo. And you've seen it. I've been in there. You've I stole a tug. Yeah. I stole a tug. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'd said as I was leaving, I'm taking this. Yep. So I guess it doesn't count. But yeah, Mojo Doggy. Did you pay for it? I mean. With your time. Yeah. So it's not really a theft. Yeah. Okay. Everything's fine. If you need dog gear in North America, that's where to get it. Mojo. Yeah. yeah. They've got everything. What he has, to be honest, is the best dog trainers shop. Yep. It's without a doubt the best shop that I've walked into where you can buy actual dog trainer gear. Yep. Yeah, high quality e-collars, mills, leashes, you know, all the things. Like proper tugs, like all the actual things that real dog trainers use. Mm. Mojo, get it there. We have a new sponsor also. We do. Yeah. Daniel Trapino. Trapino, yeah, that sounds about right. Daniel Trapino. It's Dog Club, South Australia. Yeah. What does he do there? It's kind of like a little hangout hood that he's created there. A little cultural hub. A little cultural hub in South Australia. So I think that's what Daniel was trying to go for, was to try and embrace and build the culture in South Australia. Because I will be honest, it's been sadly lacking for many, many years. Mm. Like not much really canine came out of South Australia. So I think it doesn't mean there aren't good dog trainers down there. There's some very good dog trainers and personalities down in South Australia, but they've never really elevated it. And I think that's what Daniel wants to do. He really wants to push it out into the public forefront. Get in there, South Australians. Get into the Dog, dog Club. Club. SA. We must never forget Dan Croft. Dan Croft in Canada. What a good yeah. bloke he is. I love speaking to Dan as well. Yeah. Great facility. Great facility. Really emphasizing his puppy training programs. Mm-hmm. I just put an ad up today on Instagram showing a little Dobeman doing his little course running around, but that's what he really wants to emphasize on the critical period of development in young dogs and puppies. But it's not only that. I mean, it's all working breeds. As I've said before, as you've said before, very impressive to watch all of these dogs on BOSU balls balancing and all of the breeds that other people usually are shying away from. He's got like a whole room full of them there. Great shop, great setup, great social media. I really like the Dan Croft setup. Our last person. Who? Barbara DeGroote. Oh, lovely Barbara. Yeah. The sugar mama. From the heart dog training. Yeah. 
She didn't really want to emphasize. She just said, here, have some cash. Yeah. So we just want to say thank you, Barbara. We do want to say thank you, Barbara. Thank you for supporting us. You're wonderful. We do love you. On with the show. Indeed. Welcome back to the canine paradigm. In last week's episode, we left you all on a cliffhanger, when Chad started to express his concerns about some of the poorly used behaviorists' language choices. May I also add, what a complete bastard Glenn was, to cut that episode off where he did and leave us all hanging. I mean, what a complete ass. Did you realize he forgot to add the music to the end of the last episode? Anyway, let's not keep you from it anymore. Here are your hosts, Pat Stewart, and Glenn Cook, with their guest, Chad Mackin for part two of Leash Pressure and Better Language. I'm just not sure if the terminology that we inherited from behaviorism is the best terminology going forward. I agree with you, mate. Some of that terminology or some of the old things that we learned is hot dog water. It's just terrible. There's room for improvement. And listening to you and Pat talking about your thoughts about what sort of training we should be using or the complexities of trying to understand learning theory as we go, I think that can be confusing for a lot of newer trainers. Early in the piece, when I first started learning, a lot of what we were doing was more about feel. We were learning how to actually put tactile hands on a dog and feel our way through it. And I feel it's very important to categorize what level you need to understand based on who you're actually teaching it to. So if you're talking about going to somebody's home, this conversation can get very out of hand and very confusing very quickly to a point where it can intimidate people not to want to train their dogs because they think, well, everything I do from here on in is going to fuck the dog up. So when you're going into a home with a family, a lot about what you're doing is showing your experiences on feel. These days, I consider myself more of a use what works trainer. I'm not loyal to any one system or any one person. I look at the dog, I assess the people, we ask a lot of questions. There is no absolute structure to it. It's all incremental. Everything we're doing is just shaping through the assessment process. Like this is the dog, this is the people, this is the scenario, this is what we've got to work with. But I still need to know my learning theory. I still need to know what I'm working with inside my head because then I need to generate successive outcomes that they can use reasonably. But then I also need to have some form of language or terminology that they understand. Again, that's not going to intimidate them, not going to turn them off dog training and not make them think, fuck, that was just all science and gobbledygook and I don't have any idea what that guy just said. He's just left me with more questions than what we had before he arrived. I want them to feel like you said, Chad, and I steal this phrase from you a lot. I like making people into professional handlers. And that is a mechanism that I use frequently. You know, I've had to go into houses and tell people that. And I credit you for it. I say I learned this from my colleague, Chad. He was the one who came up with the concept. And that's what you need to be. You need to be a professional handler. So you do need to step up. You do need to be better than the average bear. You know, what you're currently doing isn't sufficient. Your game needs to raise from here on in. So that's when I do get a little bit more terminology focused with those type of people. However, the lesson is not about training the dog then. The lesson may be about training them and them only, sitting down and having a conversation with them about basic learning theory, how it applies without complicating it and without turning it muddy for them. So then they have no hope of working with their dog. But then a practical session where we can just incrementally work on what needs to be done, showing it very basically. Pat said it, you've said it, myriads of other dog trainers have said it, I've said it as well. Incremental sessions, one session training is very, very boring. You need a a time-lapse camera to film what you're doing before it actually looks like there's anything actually happening because it's just a quick session and then it should be over. That's it. That's all it is. And a lot of times when we've gone around to clients' homes or when they've come here for training or they go to you, they go to Pat, they go to any other trainer around the world, a lot of times it's a lot of talky and then it's a little bit of worky. And then we build that up. It incrementally raises and increases. As their skill increases and as the behavior is improving in the dog, the session might be less talky and more worky. Who knows? It just needs to be what it needs to be. And that's why I say these days more, I'm more focused on being a use what works trainer rather than I'm with this system or I'm that system or I'm trying to create 
this unintelligible issue that nobody's going to actually get and nobody's going to know. What I need to do is cater for what the actual client needs at that point in time. It's a tough question. I agree with you 100%. Mm. Like sometimes people will like dissect things. I'm a theorist at heart. Going back to something you said earlier about the pet dog work, like that to me is what I love. I love the puzzle. I remember listening to your show, Michael Ellis was on, and he said something to the effect of he really likes the acquisition phase of training. But once it gets to the repetition, he kind of gets bored. I'm a lot like that. I heard myself in that statement. He's a better trainer than I am. I'm not pretending to be on his level, but but that's my heart too. Is like I like the puzzle, I like solving the puzzle. How do I get the dog to get this thing? So that's what I talk about and that's what I write about. And this this conversation has been, you know, very theoretical. And this gives some people the impression that when I'm working with a dog, that I'm all in my head, that I'm doing complex behavioral equations and this sort of stuff. And nothing can be further from the truth. When I'm working with a dog, I'm having a conversation with the dog. Like I'm having a conversation with you guys. Like you're my friends. I trust you. I feel safe with you. And I feel confident that I can share an opinion without feeling like I'm going to get attacked or made to feel stupid or whatever. And that's the conversation we want to have with the dog. When we work with the dog, we want to create a situation where the dog feels that way, that they can share with us their ideas. And we go, yeah, it's a good idea, but it's not appropriate now. And that sort of thing. And that can't be done from a technical point of view. I'm not sitting here listening to you talk and going, "What? how am I going to respond to this? I'm listening to you talk and I'm digesting what you have to say. And then I'm responding on the fly. Now, in my back pocket, I have hours of thinking about this stuff and I have hours of writing about this stuff and I have hours of hands-on experience that all influences the way I view this stuff. That's the lens I look through. When I'm looking at dog, it's all those years of experience that's the lens I look through and all the theory that I've digested over the years and all of the, you know, the, the books I read on, on learning, not just dogs. But I, as a matter of fact, right now I stay away from dog related material almost entirely. I look at general behavior, not canine specific behavior, because that's a lot less focused on, methodology or it's a lot less biased when you say that you know sapolsky doesn't give a shit how we train our dogs mm. like he doesn't he's not worried about that he doesn't have a dog in that fight right he's just talking about how behavior works and that's where i think we find the most reliable information but when i'm working with a dog all that stuff is back there and it affects my choices it can't not but i'm not thinking about it at that moment like a great musician isn't going mm, i think i'm gonna play a minor chord now he just knows that the minor chord fits right there I think that's where we want to be. And that's what the theory gives us. But we should always be, when we're working with the dog or the owner, be having that conversation. And it should never be a lecture. And I guess that's where my issue with the quadrants comes from. And again, I'm not opposed to them, but I find that I don't think about them nearly as much as I think about just a simple thing. Where am I moving on that dog's scale of motivation? I'm moving towards a consequence or away from a consequence. And I have a thousand different tools I can use to do that. Even when I have one of those clients that I need to make a professional grade handler, I don't necessarily have to go that much into the quadrants. My poor man's quadrants that I use sometimes is good thing starts, good thing stops, bad thing starts, bad thing stops. I say that to anybody, they go, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. Mm-hmm. And of course, I can argue, you know, that that not all reinforcements are good and not all punishments are bad, but we don't need to get into that. If people understand good thing stops, good thing starts, bad thing stops, bad thing starts makes perfect sense to most people. And that's as complicated as it has to get for most people, I think. Right. It's, and that's much, and why didn't Skinner give us that language, by the way? <laughs> like, yeah. like, I think it's a tough place we are in as, as an industry. A hundred percent. I agree. And the other thing is if you start looking at different disciplines, different learning disciplines, whether it be talking about neurobiology or ethology, um, they all have different terminology too. And somewhere along the line, everybody just sort of agreed that we're going to go with the behaviorist terminology and their model. I can explain Pangsep's blueprint emotions to anybody in like five minutes. And here's the thing. I'm kind of starting to think that the constructed emotion model is actually more accurate. I also think Pangsep's model is easier to use and it fits. So I can look at Dr. Barrett's model and go, wow, that's really interesting. And I've, I've got some work I'm working on where I'm kind of blending the two models actually. I think you guys would be really interested when I get that ready to I'll share it with you guys because I'm really excited about it. But even for a working dog trainer, understanding the blue ribbon emotions as Pangstep modeled them is so much easier. For that reason, it's more effective. Mm. Even if it's not entirely accurate, it actually is more effective because it allows us to actually do something. And I think that's super important. It doesn't have like somebody once said to me, you know, 
quantum physics has proved Newtonian physics wrong time and time again, but we use Newtonian physics to get to the, to get to the moon. And I think it's the same thing. Like, like the constructed emotion model is so in depth. It's like quantum physics and Pangstuff's model is the Newtonian physics. It'll get you to the moon. It'll get you to the moon. And I know that because I use it a lot. So yeah, it's a mess. I think I lost the thread here. I kind of wandered off the path there. But <laughs> Mate, let's circle all the way back around. Something you spoke about right at the start and your sort of absence from social media and like trying to stay out of the public conversations about this stuff. I wanted to sort of hear your opinions on the current state of the industry, I suppose. Like, how do you feel things are currently? And are you happy? Are you not? What are you doing to steer the ship? If anything, you know, just riff on that for me. I think we've circled around a lot of that through this conversation. I think there's a lot of good stuff going on. I think in general, I think you guys and trainers in your mindset have been very valuable for the industry. Glenn's positive first model Mm -hmm. has been really helpful. I think the resurgence of Steve Lindsay is Mm -hmm. probably a good thing. Like, I think it's really, I'm really excited about the Lima course that he's teaching ISCP this Uh, year. Yeah, it's doing like a Lima certification, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's really good. I foolishly up until recently had convinced myself that the method wars were more or less over. Mm. And I I think to a large extent they are, to be honest with you. Like it's like the vast majority of trainers out there are not rabid about it. Like they're like, you use your prong collars if you want to. I don't feel like using them. I'm going to do this. I think, you know, as always said, I, I have more in common with the, with Denise Fenzi than a lot of the people who call themselves balanced, even though I am labeled as balanced. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot. So the idea is that the, the fiction we've been sold is that you have the, on one side, you have the positive only trainers or force-free trainers or whatever terminology you want to use for them. On this side, you have the balanced trainers and they're like, they couldn't be more separate, more further apart. And that's not true. Like you have, if you imagine like a, a graph where you have on one side, you have balanced trainers of the old school variety who think using food as a bribe and would never, would never be caught dead, giving a dog a treat. And on the other side, you have, at the other stream, you have the force-free trainers who think even saying no to a dog is constitutes actual abuse, mm-hmm. right? Those people exist, but they're caricatures, mm-hmm. right? They're real, but they're caricatures, right? And where you're going to find is that most of us are clustered nearer to the middle, whether we mm-hmm. call ourselves balanced or force-free, most of us are clustered in the middle and we can have wonderful conversations with each other because we can respect each other. And there are very few positive or force-free trainers who would look at your work and go, that's shit, I wouldn't do it. I don't think there's many balanced trainers who look at Denise Fenzi's work and go, that's shit. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think we can see that people are helping dogs and they're, I didn't see this, but somebody told me there was a guy on TikTok and he said, basically, you are either building dogs up or breaking them down. And if you're on the side of building dogs up, you're on my side. Mm-hmm. If you're inside of breaking them down, you're not. And I think that's where most of us live. I think that's where controversies aside, I think that's where most of us are. Now, that said, I think the biggest thing we're facing as an industry, and Glenn touched on this a little bit, uh, or kind of, I, maybe I don't want to put words in his mouth, this is what I heard about it, is that there's becoming a lot of closed systems. Yeah. Now, I belong to this system. This is my method of training. And I only do things that are in this system and they're usually guarded with a lot of secrecy you got to pay a lot of money to get in the club and if you're not in the club you don't get to know and that creates a very dangerous mentality it creates an alienation that doesn't need to exist and i get it i I mean i understand like people want to protect their intellectual property i'm not saying that they shouldn't do that but there's got to be some sort of way to integrate these people into a larger community so they don't feel like they're separate from us and we don't feel like they're separate from us either because that's what kills things. That's what mm-hmm. happened with the force free. The force free is, is we have a bunch of people. We, we have convinced ourselves that those people are the enemy because they don't do what we do. And the tendency to tribalize and other people is really strong. Like the very first episode of something to bark about, I talked about this. We can't escape tribalism. We're tribal creatures. It's hardwired in our biology. You're going to have an in-group and out-group. The thing is, what we get to do is we get to choose what our in-group looks like. And to me, my in-group is people who are curious, people who want to know more, people who are curious about doing it better, or curious about how dogs, not the model their mentor taught them, people who understand that right now, at this very moment, there's something that we believe, everybody listening to this, myself included, there's something that I believe 100%, something that I'm absolutely certain is true, 
and I'm 100% wrong about. <laughs> Guaranteed. Every one of us has that. And when you accept that, that means nothing is off the table. Nothing is off the table. And the more convinced I am that I'm right, the more likely I am that that's the thing that I'm blind about. Mm. And so when we get ourselves into these like little cliques where we are surrounded by like-minded people, we lose the ability to have a conversation, which Glenn alluded to earlier too, with the greater culture. If we can't understand where someone else is coming from, we can't have a conversation with them. And so when you create a training system and you lock people into it and you say, you're not allowed to talk about this outside of our group, and we're going to have special terminology that only we use. And we're going to use that to exclude others from the conversation. So then that prevents not only us from communicating with them, it also prevents them from being communicated with. It prevents those ideas from being challenged in any meaningful way. Mm. And you know? it creates a cult and, as well. And, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a tactic that cults use all the time is mm. special language, social isolation. But now with social media, we have the ability to socially isolate without physically isolating. Mm. I think with a lot of the trainer war type stuff, mate, I think that people tend to sort of, most people, not everybody, but the majority of people tend to graduate out of that. And it comes and goes in waves because we're an industry that constantly brings new people in and people fall out. Like most dog trainers don't, you guys who have been at this 30 years, you're the exception. You're not the rule, you know, like majority of people that are professional dog trainers are that for a pretty short period of time. Like I don't have any data on this, but having been in the industry only a short period myself, you know, I only left the army eight years ago, right? So like, that's how long I've been. I've been training dogs for a long time, but being a professional doing this for a job, it's only been that long. And I nearly pulled the pin 12 months ago. I think people come and go pretty regularly. And so we're a high turnover industry and the people who are teaching others have their own methods. And for the most part, certainly not all, but for the most part, are pretty accepting of the whole lot. They're just like, Hey, this is what works for me. This is how I do it. But the problem is it's new people coming in that then are really easily indoctrinated and they're not having the long conversations with other people. I think that's a big part of the issue is it's not until you've been in it a while that you have enough conversations and over enough period of time to actually get to go like, oh, I think we're talking about the same thing here. Like, I think me and you are just sort of skirting around the same issue where, you know, we probably agree on this 90%. We might do things a little bit differently, but so would someone from your cult because, you know, not everybody is the same. We're not all going to respond to the same inputs with the same outputs. Mm -hmm. But I think it's exacerbated certainly by social media. I think that social media initially had the capacity. This is what I wanted to sort of talk to you a little bit about. And I wonder if you agree is that, Social media initially had the capacity to cause a lot more unification and it did for maybe a short period of time before it actually led to like more division. I remember years ago, mate, like when I was listening to you and Jay doing dog training conversations, I remember a conversation that you had with him talking about how you were sort of not abandoning, but you were no longer really posting to your website and that you were going to use Facebook as more of like a publishing platform, that the blogs and stuff that you were writing are no longer going to be on the website or that your primary thing was going to be Facebook because you said it to public and everybody could watch it. And that's where most people are downloading that kind of content. And I think Facebook was an interesting thing to do on Facebook. Right now, that'd be a terrible idea because of the reach that you would get. And that's just more to do with the Facebook algorithm and the, their need to make money from advertising revenue, right? Like they're going to squash your reach, whereas like your own website is has the reach that you can get for it. But I think what's happened is people like us who are older, right? We're still using Facebook, but the new people don't really do use it. Like kids, people who are leaving school now or, or have in the last two or three years and are looking to get a real job, they're only peripherally on Facebook and they call people who are on Facebook dinosaurs and all this kind of shit, right? Like it's the old person's social media. But Facebook, at the way that it's laid out, allows for actual conversations. Now, they're still not great, right? This still isn't the perfect medium. It's still nowhere near as good as being in a room with someone and having a real conversation. But through groups it, that exist within the way that like the layout of the user interface works. We can be in groups and we can have back and forth type conversations. Now those conversations can devolve into madness or they can lead to really constructive relationships. But I think Instagram doesn't allow for that. I don't even respond to DMs on Instagram and I don't even, I, I barely read the comments that people will make because I'll read them, but I don't really reply is because shit gets lost. Like it gets buried and the, the user interface doesn't allow for actual conversations. You can't go back and forth with people. And TikTok is even worse. 
And TikTok is actually much, much worse of a means of communication beyond you create your content as giving out your opinion. And then if I really, if you really have something to say about what I say on TikTok, then really the only way that you can have an actual conversation with me is to make your own content that I have to, that will be in reply to mine. And we bounce back and forth. Now that's on purpose because they want that fucking content, right? They don't want people. It's not a text-based platform. It's a video-based platform. So I feel like that is actually a big uh, part of the reason why we're still having these fucking arguments even though the mentors, most of the mentors of the people who are teaching these younger, newer people into the industry are like, they've graduated out of the arguments. And they're like, you do you, I'm going to do this, whatever. I'm going to develop my own student base. Now, of course, there's people who are purposely indoctrinating their student base. There are people who will other mentors and so forth, because that's probably an ego thing. Some of them are the best in the world, but it's still an ego, like a, a problem of them needing to be worshipped and idolized, right? But I think for the most part, it's the new people coming into the industry have to go through that shit. And I feel like it's a wave that's just never, we're, we're in one of those perpetual wave machines. It's not actually moving anywhere. Different people come and get off of it, right? Like, you know, those, what are they even called? You know, the fake waves where it's just a hill that they blast water over. It's just there going forever. And, and different people get on it with their surfboard and they ride for a little while and then they go, oh, fuck this. And they get off. And somebody else jumps and fills their spot almost immediately. And I feel like that's part of the issues that we have. And I think it's that engagement with the people who have graduated out of the arguments and are able to cooperate with each other and understand that for the most part, what we do is correct, is the similar. I think that us having those conversations is really important. This conversation I enjoy having with you, Chad, and I love talking. It's interesting to me what you're doing, but people who can draw from this are people who are, say, like me, that are really only interested in sport dog training and then have like hear me have a conversation with you and agree with pretty much everything you're saying in regards to pet dog training, right? So like people from within our own camp can hear that and go, oh, well, that's a worthwhile conversation to hear. But we also need to be having it with like people who train completely different. And we do to an extent, you know, like we've had plenty of people on the show. The problem is the people who are coming under them want them to be more indoctrinated than they are. People want of their mentors to be more in the system. And I think that because, you know, at the end of the day, we're doing this. If I couldn't charge people for what I do, I'd still be training my own dogs for sure. But I wouldn't be making a ton of content to put out there because like, this is my job at the end of the day. I would have to make money some other way, right? I would still be a dog trainer as a hobby. The club would still run. All of that would still happen. But if I couldn't make money from it, I would have to get another job and I would be busy making content for that. I feel some pressure for this. Not really because like I'm doing my own thing and I don't have a brand. It, my brand of style of training is the best I can come up with in the moment. But when you have one, I think there's a lot of people who are afraid of their own audience. I think for sure there are a lot of people who are terrified of being canceled by their own audience if they slip up and agree with something I say or something you say or, or something someone else says. I'm curious on your opinion on that. That's a big thing. I think like before I left social media, I think I thought a whole lot more about what I was going to say in terms of that. And one of the other things that was nice too, this I didn't mention this before, but a big part of my financial stability back then was dependent on workshops. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those things I was practically dragged kicking and screaming to teach my first workshop. I didn't want to do it. So people were telling me you need to teach a socialization workshop. You need to teach a socialization workshop. And I'm like, Look, my instructions was let them go, don't let them fight. That's not even an afternoon workshop, much less a two-day workshop. And a friend of mine said, tell you what, sit down and write down everything you know about socialization and tell me that you don't have a workshop after that. And like 30 pages later, I was like, oh, shit, I do have a workshop. So I started teaching. And then before long, you begin to count on that revenue. And I had mm. a good run, you guys. Like I taught my first workshop in 2007. 2020 was the first year since then that I made no income from a workshop. I was running workshops steadily that whole time. And that's a, un, I don't know of anybody who was, was running as many workshops as I was for as long as that time that were packed like mine were for that long. Like I had a good run. Like I have nothing to complain about. But eventually, you know, my message was heard by those who were interested in it. And there were new people coming up that were more interesting and novel. And, and I gave way to those graciously. I didn't complain. I never got bitter about it. Like, don't get me wrong. It hurt, but like I had a good run. I'm not complaining and I don't, I'm not looking to get, I'm starting workshops again, but I'm not looking to get back in that schedule. It's been nice to not have to travel so much with 2020 with the COVID and everything else. I reached a point where I managed to get to be where I don't depend on those workshops 
to make ends meet. So now I don't have to worry about getting canceled, so to speak. If people mm -hmm. don't want to come to my workshops, that's fine. I'm going to be okay. I don't need that money. And that's a big thing. When you need the money, when you count on the money, it's when people stop coming to your workshops, it's, it's life-changing. Even if you don't care about it, even if there's no ego at all, this is my income. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? So I'm at a point now where I don't need workshops to survive. That helps out a lot. So I don't have to worry about getting canceled. And, I, and my goal is, as I, as I enter back into this conversation, is to not worry so much about that. If I piss everybody off and people don't want to hear me anymore, I'll still keep saying what I think is true. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to offend people. The balance is you want to speak your truth. You want to stand for what you believe in. You want to say things that you think people need to hear. But if you craft that message in a way that alienates the people you're trying to reach, you're not doing anybody any good. In fact, you're probably doing harm. So I do care how I'm received, but not from a sense of, at least not mostly from a sense of ego or self-importance, but from the fact that I, I do believe I have things that are worth hearing. I believe I can still contribute valuable things to this conversation. I think I have new things that people haven't heard me say before. I also know that there are some people that aren't going to hear it no matter what. Mm. And that's okay too. Like so many things like Jay's enjoying incredible success right now. And I couldn't be happier for him. Couldn't happen to a better guy. Like he deserves everything he's got. He expresses frustration sometimes that, you know, he's like, I'm just doing what you taught me. I'm just doing what you taught me, which he's not, by the way, he's not, <laughs> he's got his own take on that. Like, like I'm not taking credit for him at all in that sense. But he took some pieces from me and he ran with them. He did amazing things with them. And I, like I said, I couldn't be prouder of who he's turned into as a trainer. And as a, you know, he's always been the same person. I can't say that, but like, it's frustrating sometimes that people will, will take his message, which is in so many ways, the same as mine. And they'll rush to it. And then when I say something that's in the same vein, there's a big, eh, you know, mm -hmm. by the same people. That's a little frustrating, but I don't care who runs the ball in. If the team scores a point, we all score. Mm -hmm. And the message is what's important. If Jay delivers that message or you deliver that message or Glenn delivers that message, and the message by what I'm talking about is building dogs up, looking mm -hmm. at dogs with curiosity and with true respect for what they are and not what we imagine them to be and not what we want them to be. Like that's at the core of all good training and whoever runs that ball in, you know, we all win if we mm. want to improve the quality of dogs. I think there's things I have worth saying, like I said, but I'm not the only one and I'm not the only one saying those things. So if my message resonates with somebody and they want to, and they want to get more of it from me, that's great. If they like the way you handle that concept better than me, then that's great too. I'm no longer at a point where that's most important. What I want to see is I want to see dog training. I'm most worried right now about what I fear is a switch back to the old style of balance that I came up in. That's what I'm most worried about. Yeah. And right. social media, that's a mess I can't. By the way, I would not advise anybody to do what I did with Facebook back then when you told me about it. That was a bad choice. It seemed like a good idea. It is at now. <laughs> it, it, at the time, it was the correct path of least resistance. But now, for sure, I would do the opposite. Yeah. You know, and I think like, like I'm resisting TikTok. I don't want to go there. If I want to be more relevant, that's where I would go. Mm. But that comes with a whole lot of baggage that I'm just not ready to adopt for myself yet. Podcasting is, is actually a bit oversaturated these days too. Like back when Jay and I were doing it, there was very few dog training podcasts out there. Mm -hmm. And now, and now, there's, <laughs> now there's thousands of them. So I don't know how to navigate that one either. But for me, I just try to have faith that the people who want to hear what I'm trying to say will find me. And I just got to keep doing what I'm doing. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to, I was on a podcast a couple of weeks ago. I talked nicely about you guys on it, by the way. Although I did tell one story that after I said it, I worried that it came off as a little shitty. So it didn't. Which mean one? To, I'll have uh, to go listen to it so I can argue with you well, online. So I sent Glenn a video a few years back of a dog I was working with who tried to bite me in a training session. Okay. It was a short clip. And Glenn's response was something like, I don't think I would have been as patient as you were or something like that. And I told the story to say that that was like a moment that I realized that I was even more soft than I realized I was. <laughs> and, but I was worried after I said that it sounded like I was saying that Glenn was like a hard ass or something like that. And that wasn't what I intended to intended to communicate at all. Cause and I, and I tried bent over backwards to make sure that no listener thought I was shitting on Glenn. Uh, <laughs> but after I said it, it didn't sound quite as good as I meant for it to yeah, sound. Right, so okay. I'm very thick skinned, mate. Some of those things, they're just water off a duck's back. And especially if it came from you, I wouldn't think it was anything derogatory anyway. I just want to lean into the conversation that you guys were having before. There was some phrasing that I used to use about dog trainers in the industry in the early days. 
and this piggybacks off what Pat was talking about before. Being in it as long as some of us have, it's very cyclical in how it runs. And there are people, I'm going to use someone like Michael Ellis. He's kind of like the moon. You know, he's always there. He's always dependable. He helps regulate currents and things ebb and flow well when the moon is present. Other people are like Haley's Comet or a Comet. You know, they come around every couple of years. And other people in this industry are like shooting stars. They blaze across the sky. They're very... They make a big impact and all of a sudden they burn out and they're never to be seen again. That was a phrase I used to use early in social media, early in the days before Facebook and all that when we were on, what were those? Yahoo chat groups. Yeah, the chat groups and so forth. I used to talk about trainers <laughs> being like that because that's what I used to see a lot of the time. I used to see regular people that were in the industry. They're very supportive. They were always there and they continue to be. And I kind of think of myself as that kind of thing as well, Chad, because I've had some of the same struggles that you've had and many of us do like staying relevant and being the cool guy and so forth. But nothing lasts forever, mate. The very much the point that I'm trying to focus heavily on these days is creating a legacy, making sure that the industry survives and that it does go in a right direction. And if there needs to be some helpful opposition when things are going right off track, that at least I have a voice or a stake in it where myself and my colleagues can come in and say, hang on, that's not correct there needs to be a little critical thinking and a little bit of heavy lifting in some different areas because what we're talking about now is going right off the rails. And if people like you and me and Pat and Boyd and Michael Ellis and all of those people start disappearing from that realm, then suddenly a a voice of reason starts to disappear as well. It's not like I'm heavily trying to push an agenda. As I stipulated before, I consider myself somebody who uses what works. I'm not a slave to any one system or any one way of thinking. If you show me a way of doing something better, I'm adopting it straight away, immediately. If Pat shows me something better, I'm going to adopt it straight away. And I have done and I will continue to do so. If I don't do that, then I'm responsible for losing relevancy myself. And I think the thing is, is you have to look at yourself as one day you might be the king and the next day you might be a kingmaker. And if you're now the kingmaker, you're responsible for supporting the king. That's what you need to focus on and that's what you need to do. So we ebb and flow in what we do. You know, I think about things like that a lot because when I was a kid, one of the coolest people on the planet at that time was the Fonz. He was the coolest person that I knew of. Yeah, the Fonz. Everybody in my generation knew who the Fonz was. We all wanted to be either Chuck Norris or the Fonz. That was the coolest person in our demographic at that point in time. But now Henry Winkler is an old guy. You know, like if he put on a leather jacket and tried to pull chicks, it would be gross. You know, everybody go, ooh, that's cringe. And that happens. But it doesn't mean that he's not relevant. It doesn't mean that he doesn't appear in movies and do good acting and occasionally pop up. He's there, he makes a scene, and people remember him, and people also remember that legacy. So I feel that that needs to be for people who are – coming in and out of the industry or are struggling with identity or feeling relevant and so forth, you can still be relevant. You can still have and make a heavy impact. I saw things that were shared around from you recently on Instagram where you were making some tiles and having a few thoughts about some things. I saw probably about a dozen or so trainers sharing that around. So if you're worried about relevancy, there you are. You were relevant because you shared some important points that people in the industry associated with and they thought that's relevant. That needs to be passed around. People need to read this because other people may not be saying it or if they are saying it, they're not saying it as well as what Chad just did. I think what we need to do in order to be relevant and to stay relevant is making sure that we are progressive and not just progressive for the sake of being progressive, but being wise in our progression, looking at how the industry is changing. Is it going in a great direction or is it going all over the place? Is it splintering? And how will we make a positive impact on bringing that together and creating some better cohesion? I feel that Pat and I have continued and want to do this podcast, not only because we love dogs and we love the industry, but we also want to make sure that there is a voice that supports people who do and who feel and think the way that we do and feel like if it wasn't for these guys, I wouldn't be able to stand up and say something. I wouldn't feel brave enough or secure enough because other people in those industries just keep shutting me down and I'm not allowed to think like that anymore. 
I think there still should be a freedom for people to have multiple ways to think and to look at any one situation and think maybe there is several ways to go at this. Maybe there are several approaches that will work best for this client and their dog. If the people like us keep disappearing, if we keep being shut down or keep feeling that there's no place for us anymore, I don't see that as being a great thing for the industry overall. It just means that one style survives And what does that mean then? What does that mean for the hordes of the other dogs that are still stacking up 10 deep in welfare and euthanasia agencies? They're going to continue to do so because the trainers that are educated and understand and and know how to work and control these dogs, they keep disappearing from the planet. That's a terrible thing and it's a sin in my eyes. I think that's a very good point. And to be clear, I don't know if, if any of that was directed at my social media absence, but I want to make it real clear that that absence was for my own mental health more than anything else. It wasn't me throwing my hands up and saying, uh, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. It wasn't a temper tantrum. It was literally the, the stress of trying to ride that wave. I totally get that. That's why I have a motorbike. Keanu Reeves <laughs> did a clip a while ago where he said, if I don't ride my motorbike often, it's very bad for my health. I feel exactly the same way. There are literally days where I have to step away from this entirely and not read anything and not communicate with anybody and not be a dog trainer for the day. I'm just one of the lads on my motorbike and not thinking about all of those things. I don't want Mm -hmm. the sword of Damocles hanging over my head all of the time and having to think and feel like that. I need to be a person and I need to be You know, I I still need to have fun in my life and I need to do other things. It doesn't mean that I don't find great joy and great love in training my dog or being around my dog friends and talking dog things because that's a very huge part of my personality. You know, it's a 30-something year dedication, three fucking decades of dedication and love and compassion for an industry that there are times I'd die for it but I don't want to kill myself over it. You know, like there are not times where I just want to have a heart attack because I'm so wound up or so stressed out. I need to disconnect sometimes and just have a little time away, be a different human being, celebrate one of the other sides of my personality and then come back in when I feel refreshed because those sort of things do refresh me. It gives me mental clarity, helps me deal with any of the stresses that are taking place in my life at that point in time. I can have different conversations with different people about something completely different and then I can come back in and I'm well enough in my head at that point in time to have a a relevant conversation with a group rather than have a mind that's not in a good place and then start to be dark and seedy over things that I shouldn't be because I haven't taken care of my own mental health or my own well-being. So yep, I totally get it. Yeah, that's and that's what was going on with me like it was it was becoming very hard to just like I don't want to go into too much detail. Like it was a rough time for me. And I had a lot of personal upheaval in my life going on. Also a whole lot of that stuff going on. It was, it was a dark period of time for me for sure. And the last thing I needed to do was focus on anything that wasn't directly related to my own well-being in that moment. And so it was healthy. It was good for me. And I'm a, I'm a better person now because of it. And I think I'm a better presence on social media, but boy, Facebook sure punished me being gone because the algorithm's not sharing my stuff mm-hmm. as widely as it used to but mm-hmm. i'm getting good engagement from the stuff i'm posting i'm getting good feedback and i feel most importantly I feel good about it i feel good about what i'm posting i feel good about the content i'm producing and i'd like more people to see it but not because i need the validation like this is not coming from that place anymore it's coming from a place that i think this is these are things that are worth hearing worth saying and you know i try not to say something i hear a bunch of other people saying I don't want to be just another voice in the chorus going, yeah, that. If I post something, it's because I think I have a unique perspective or a unique thought or a new way to say something. I don't post unless I feel I have something worth saying. I don't just post to make a post. It's like I might go a week without doing anything and then have a say something in a private lesson and go, oh, I need to post that and come up with a way to frame that for social media. But I'm in a much better place. It's a much healthier thing. And like I said, I'm not so concerned with relevance anymore. I'm just concerned about standing up for what I believe is important and saying and influencing those who are interested in what I have to say. And I just want to help people who are trying to help dogs. And that's all it comes down to now. Like I don't need the workshops. I got a workshop coming. I got workshops coming up in the next few months and I'm not relishing the travel. 
I enjoy teaching workshops. I really, I, I really enjoy teaching workshops, but I, I hate airplanes and I hate Uber rides and I hate hotels and I hate all of that stuff that goes with it. But I like teaching. I like connecting with dog people. And the funnest part about any workshop is the breaks when we get to talk with people. So I'm looking forward to that. If I don't sell any workshops next year, that's fine too. I'm going to be okay with that. I, I no longer need to be, I no longer care if I'm important or not, as long as I'm doing what I believe I have to do and what I believe is right. If I'm good, I'll stay that way. The problem is, is once you taste that fame drug, it gets, it, it, it can mess you up. <laughs> so so I, I'm trying real hard to keep my head about me this time. The travel side is brutal. And I don't think people realize how intense that can be. I mean, even just traveling locally and being involved in the planes, trains and automobile side of it can be an absolute nightmare for you sometimes. I mean, it throws you out. It can really have an impact on even your game sometimes, unless you're refreshed, you know, like you have a couple of days either side where you can sort of have a bit of downtime and then prepare yourself and have some good sleep, get some good nutrition into you, get some mental clarity and then being able to deliver well. I mean, I'm very fortunate that I get to teach all the time. We've got students here every month and it's one thing that I really do love. I love my time with them. I have a great time. The furthest I have to walk out is get out of bed, have a shower, get dressed and walk out in my backyard and go in the training shed. You know, when I've got a, a group of students there, we can start an education process. I'm very spoiled that I get to do that. I don't have to sit in traffic every morning, get there angry and pissed off because I've been stuck in traffic for an hour or something like that. I'm so, so fortunate to get to do things like that. But some people love it. I think Pat likes the, you like the travel, don't you? You enjoy. Um, the tricky part is just putting your life on hold. I think mm. that's the most difficult thing. Like I don't mind traveling around. I like going places. I like hanging out with people. I love teaching. It's my favorite thing. All the same things you guys said, but it is, it's the fact that you have to put your life on hold, you know, like I want a puppy. I can't have one because I'm, I move around too much. All those sorts of things. Like there's sometimes there's interesting cases that I would really like to take on, but I know that in three weeks, I'm going to be gone for two weeks and that's going to be at a period where that person's going to need the most hands-on help. Yeah, you know, all those kinds of things. So it's just the disruption to your life that I think is the only hard part for me. Also, like I have two kids. I don't like being away from them. And also it's not really fair to say to my wife, like, hey, I'm going gallivanting around the world to have a wonderful time. Good luck looking after these two monsters, you know? Anyway. I'm glad to hear you're doing really good. I'm happy to have you back. Where's the next workshop? Tell people about it. How do people get in touch with you? Do your big plug. You know, I should have been more prepared for the Pluggables part of this podcast, but I'm on Facebook. My name's Chad Mackin. I'm on Instagram with my name, Chad Mackin. One word, YouTube, at Chad Mackin. Pretty easy to find me. I have a workshop in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, June 3rd, I think. Two-day workshop, a dogmanship workshop. It's not officially announced yet. Like we're still hammering out some details, but it's more or less a done deal. I'm going to be in Ottawa in May. I'm going to be in the UK in July. I was scheduled to do one in Salt Lake City in September, but it was too close to IACP. So we we're looking for a new date for that. Okay. But that's what I got booked so far. And I'm going to be seeing you in August, I believe. Yes. Yeah, in Chicago. Yes. Yeah. So I got a lot of stuff I didn't prepare. I should have had a list of dates and everything for you guys, but you can find me on uh, packthebasics.net is the website. I need to get okay. back on this. It's kind of old. I haven't been doing a lot of work with it. I'm trying to get everything going. But, I'm just uh, spruce it up, get an email list. Yeah. Yeah. Check me out on the, on the, on the socials. Facebook and Instagram is where I do most of my content publishing. So yeah, I awesome. guess that's about. Thanks for doing it, mate. Yeah. Right. Thanks, bud. No, thanks for having like me. Mm. What, anything, anything, Glenn, anything you guys want to wrap up before we go? Following on from what you were saying, Pat, thanks, Chad, for coming on. Keep your mechanisms coming out. We still use the leaky toddler. That's a regular go-to. Some of the other points that you've said, make sure that you get out there and when you do have these inspirational moments, keep creating your tiles. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I'm so glad to talk to you guys again. Like I have missed you guys so much. Thanks for having me on. It's been awesome. You two are two of my favorite people in the world. And you mentioned your training shed, Glenn, a minute ago. And oddly enough, your training shed is one of the happiest places in the world for me. And I don't know why, but every time <laughs> I see a video shot in there, I just get this warm feeling in my, in my heart because I had good times there. That's awesome. It is. Absolutely. And just to close out quickly, what I will say about social media, mate, is one of the things that I've found very unique about social media when I do have my moments of dislike of it 
even when I'm having my low moments, people reach out to me in private messages and so forth. Or, you know, there's times where I've needed a little bit of love and some healing from people I trust and appreciate in the industry. And when I have reached out to them, it's been a great source of comfort to know that they're there and I can have conversations with them. So I would encourage you to do likewise, that if you feel like you're a little bit alone in your edge of the world, just remember there are people like us that you can reach out and talk to. And it doesn't have to be a dog training conversation. It can be a human connection where you can just say, I'm feeling a bit fucked up in the head and I need a little bit of love. How about it? I really appreciate that. It's really important for us, mate. It's a, It really is yeah. important for us because if we don't support each other and if we don't help each other during some of the ups and downs in our life, who else will? And I think mm. when we lose a little bit of confidence sometimes, we lose that confidence as well, is remembering that there are people who, even in our times where we don't like ourselves so much, there are still people out there who love and appreciate us and they would love to hear from you. I had a lovely message the other day from Bertie Oshidi and I haven't heard from Bertie for a while. She's been flat out busy doing these healing workshops and everything up in the Blue Mountains. I was actually riding my bike back from one of my other locations and it was just one of those days I felt a bit meh and uh, I pulled over and I saw a message on my screen from Bertie and it was just a supportive message of love and appreciation and friendship and I thought perfect timing. It was a nice time for me just to connect back with her and just saying, hey, I've missed you. I'm thinking about you as well. I really appreciate your message. So I think for people in the industry to close out with social media at times, don't let that darkness suffocate you. And there's a nasty little voice that lives in inside all of us sometimes that can really talk us down and really start to seed in some myths, truths. Don't give it too much volume. Otherwise, it starts to convince you that that's the way that the world really is. Bruce Lee used to talk about it quite frequently where he said, be careful about the words that you say to yourself and even the things that you write about yourself because if it's negative, you will start to take on that persona. It will start to trickle over into your life. So try not to empower it. Don't give it any legs and chop them off before they get too serious and utilize your friends and speak out a little bit more often. Thank you. That's the best way to close. I don't have anything to add to that. Thanks, pal. All right. That's it for another episode of the Canon Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, like, rate, share, subscribe, do all that through whatever subscription service you download us from. Then go to another one and do it there as well. Jump onto our email list. It's new. It's sparkly. It's exciting. We haven't sent any emails yet, but there's links in the description. You know what? As soon as I finish this, I'll post it again in the group. We want to keep growing that list. We want to keep developing the community. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is to jump into Patreon. A couple bucks a month gets you a backlog of information going back years, as well as new stuff going forward pretty much every month. We also do a live stream once a month in there. And if you wanted to give as much as you want, you can. You could buy me a Lamborghini if you like. I want a Bentley. A Bentley. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll go a Bentley too. I wouldn't want to, I don't want us to have different cars. No, we, we got to have matching Bentleys. Everything has to be fair. His and his Bentleys. Uh, yeah, his and his. So that we can drive them to our little bed and breakfast that we That's have right. together. That's right. Yes. When we run All away right, together so, eventually. Yeah. So buy me a Bentley. Get Glam one too. The other thing you could do is get into spring and get yourself a t-shirt. Yep. Why not? They're Why not? fucking rad. Get a Canon Paradigm t-shirt. Everyone loves when we see you wearing those out. Yep. The other thing, you could get yourself some socks, underpants, and water bottles. They're coming soon. And uh, if you want to get in contact with us, the best way to do that is get on the email list. But you could also jump into the Facebook discussion group. There's about 10,000 people in there all being very nice to each other day to day. Or you can shoot us an email. We are info at thecanineparadigm.com. Goodbye.